Welcome back to the Focus on Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Preston. And I'm Jason. Jason, are you finally wrapped up with harvest? Yeah, Preston, it's a real relief to be done with harvest. We had a little bit of rain delay, but we were able to get things done. And then it started raining again just after we got done. We got about three and a half inches of rain in some parts of central and northern Illinois. You have to really feel for the farmers who still have crops in the field. Hopefully they can get a window here to get things done. Yeah, I totally agree, Jason. Hopefully these farmers get a window to, to wrap up 2021. I always like having farmers on the podcast interview, Jason, especially when they're not necessarily from the Midwest. And today's podcast guest is a great example of that. Yeah, I agree. It's really cool to learn about other crops that people grow in other areas. And today we talked to John Kowalczyk, who's a farmer in Alberta, Canada. And in that part of the world, they grow a very different crop rotation than we do in the Midwest. Yeah, Jason, I always like talking to farmers, especially with unique perspectives. Speaking of diversity of crops, if you're listening to this podcast, a quick side note, if you do like the content we're producing, feel free to subscribe, like it, leave a comment or a view. Also check out our previous episode where we interview the creator of the Arctic Apple, which I think was a great conversation. Yeah, Preston, it was really interesting to talk to Neil Carter, whose company has developed an apple that resist browning after you cut it up. So, you know, normally apples, you cut them up, they turn brown. Well, they developed a biotech solution where these apples don't turn brown and they can cut them up, use them for school lunches or whatever. They're much more appealing, much more appetizing. As I mentioned, that's a biotech solution and kind of ties into our conversation that we had with John today because that's part of the thing he's passionate about is sharing the message of modern agriculture. So there's there's a little bit of consumer distrust out there of biotech and of crop protection products and of modern agriculture in general. And John really tries to share the message of ag in a really interesting and engaging way on social media. So he's on Twitter, he's on Instagram, He's probably one of the few farmers on TikTok sharing his message with the younger generation. And so it was really interesting to learn about how John goes about that. Absolutely. I think I'll hold off on the TikTok for a while, (laughs) but without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation with John. Hey, John, welcome to the podcast. To kick things off here today, would you tell us a little bit about your background, education, farming career, things like that? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I guess the big thing for me started back when I was like 12 and started working with my dad on the farm and I kind of got hooked on farming there early. Going into high school, I'd always planned on going to Olds College, which is a local ag school. And I took ag mechanics as well as some other courses to do with crop production. And so I was very interested early on with farming. So I took my uh, degree in ag mechanics and uh, went back for a third year and um, took some advanced courses and always enjoyed and wanted to learn more about farming. So, and then all through that time, I was working an off-farm job as well as working on the farm. After uh, college, I came back to the farm and um, continued my education through different things, um, getting involved in different uh, commissions and um, learning. And always, I'm always interested in learning more about farming. So I'm always going to farm shows or going to um, different um, sessions on farming. So I guess my academic and learning about agriculture is continuous. So so you weren't one of those guys that uh, said, I'm, I'm getting away from the farm. I'm getting out of here. You know, sometimes you hear stories like that where people say, oh, I've had enough of farming. I, I'm tired of, uh, you know, I don't know, fill in the blank, feeding hogs at four in the morning or whatever it is. And I'm going to, I'm going to get an education. I'm going to get off the farm. You, you always wanted to come back to the farm. 
Yes, for sure. That was the plan right away. Yeah, like I say, right from when I was very young, I kind of latched on to farming and just enjoyed it so much. It was a big part of my life growing up and uh, I always loved it. So it was, it was just natural to just come back. And for me going away, I guess I went to college, like I said, but really, uh, I never really left the farm for that, for the, for holy, I guess I didn't really go all the way and leave it. And it was just like, it was always there for me. And uh, I guess the big thing was is that I did go and work other jobs and I realized that I still wanted to come back and farm. So I worked different jobs from when I was about 18 till about 25 off farm jobs. And I always knew I would come back to the farm because it was just something that was in my blood, I guess. I'm a little curious, was that jobs that then in the ag industry or was that completely outside of the ag industry where you worked? Most of them were completely out of the ag industry. I, I did uh, carpentry. I uh, worked for, uh, I surveyed, I did road surveying for a while. I worked for three years for our local Alberta government as a surveyor. And I did uh, some IT work. I'm kind of a computer geek. So I did IT for a while too. And so I did a few different jobs that had really nothing to do with farming. And there's still things I had had interest in like carpentry and different things. So it was kind of, it was, it was still fun to do them, but I, like I say, I always knew I'd come back to the farm. It's kind of interesting. You say those jobs had nothing to do with farming and, and they were, you know, not uh, technically involved in farming, but, but on your farm, you probably use some of those skills, like those <laughs> IT skills and those uh, carpentry skills and all those things. Definitely. They've come in handy over the years for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> especially the IT now it's getting pretty intense and you start looking at some of these programs and different things that we're having to run now and just with the, the big data movement and trying to keep track of all that and, and technology. So no, it, it has helped having that kind of mind. I guess I've always had that kind of technical mind for computers and electronics from an early age too. It was the same thing. I remember my mom and dad buying their first VCR and uh, within a week it stopped working. And I was only 13 or 14 at the time. And dad says, Oh, I guess we've got to throw this piece of junk away. And I said, well, if you're going to throw it away, dad, let me have a look at it. And I tore, tore the VCR apart and put it back together and it worked for another four years after that. So and that was like 13 or 14 years old. So it was always something I, I enjoyed working on and fixing things. So that's impressive. I think that a lot of times consumers maybe don't realize how much IT and, and computer technology is wrapped up in farming. I mean, you get into some of the calves of, of these combines and tractors nowadays. I, I always kind of joke, they probably have more computing power and it's probably not actually a joke than the space shuttle did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know, and then you throw in all the things that we have, like our, our phones and our iPads and different things and in the tractor, and pretty soon you have four or five different monitors you're, you're managing, and, and there's a lot going on some days. And the thing is, is that it's not the farm from 40 years ago. It's, it's way more advanced and way more technical. And I think that's one of the stories that we kind of want to get out there, that we're not the, the farmers that are carrying around a pitchfork out in the field that were a lot more advanced and a lot more technical than what a lot of consumers realize. Well, I'm kind of interested, I guess, John, first, a little bit more about your specific farm. I was wondering if you could speak to some of the crops that you grow more granular level, what your, your farming operation looks like. For sure. Yeah, it's definitely always evolving. Um, I'm trying new crops all the time, right from soybeans. I did for five years, I did plots and tried them out just to try something different, um, looking for alternatives to add to the rotation. We are heavily dependent on things like canola and wheat and to try to find something to throw in there to extend the rotations has always been kind of a, 
thing of mine. I've so I've I've grown wheat and barley and canola, yellow peas, and uh, those are probably the main four that I've been growing for the past twenty five years. And then you get things like soybeans I've tried and then this last couple of years I've been growing faba beans and and lentils so to try something different and over the years we've done things like fall rye there's there's all sorts of things I'm pretty lucky to be in an area that has different soil types so I can try different things on different soil types and so fabas require a lot of moisture so I can put that on my heavier soil and lentils like light sandy soil and not as much rain or not as much moisture on the roots similar to yellow peas so I can try that on my lighter sandier soils. I'm, I'm spread out over about a 15 mile distance so from my north end to my south end of my farm I go from light sandy soil to an intermediate soil with some rocks to a heavy clay which we call a gumbo with no rocks and probably 20 feet of topsoil. It's, it's a heavy clay deposit so it's it's a little tougher to manage in a wet year, but in a normal year with normal rainfall, which for me would be anywhere from eight to 12 inches, it would grow a great crop because it has a lot more moisture retention, heavier organic matter, and just a better ability to, to trap moisture. My light land in a wet year does very well. It, uh, it warms up quicker. I can put things like I say, like lentils, canola does well in it in a wet year. So I'm very fortunate in that fact that I have these different soil types on my farm. And even though it's tough when you go to move equipment, sometimes you get that 15 mile move, which hopefully doesn't happen very often when you're from one end to the other, but it uh, makes for a long move, but it, it does spread out my risk. And it also gives me options. That's very interesting how diversified you are. I mean, we're in central Illinois, so corn, soybeans, it's very rare to even see wheat. You mentioned equipment a little bit. I'm curious with, you know, going from wheat to fava beans, do you have to have a lot of diversity in equipment as well? If you have this level of diversity in crops or can you kind of utilize equipment different ways for, for different crops? I actually just use the one. Um, I have an air drill, so it's set up so I can pretty much do any of those crops very easily. Uh, soybeans, I, I did a so I'm on a 10 inch spacing. So I only did soybeans. So I single shoot the soybeans down the fertilizer boot, which would be my narrow one. Otherwise my seed would be split. So I threw that on the, the fertilizer boot. And so I had 10 inch spacing basically on my soybeans when I grew them and out my splitter, I would put my starter fertilizer. So I would have inoculant and soybeans down the fertilizer boot and then split off a little bit of starter fertilizer and that's kind of how I did the so so you got to be a little bit kind of uh, intuitive on how you can use your equipment to seed some of these different things and fabas are quite large so I have to watch them as well and just go seed a little slower um, so you don't get bridging in your equipment and and you're seeding them at a higher rate as well so it's they are a little tricky just similar to peas as well but the equipment I have through maybe me adjusting how I do things or really with very few modifications can seed any of those crops. And that's what's nice is I kind of look at that, what I can grow, it has to match with what equipment I have because I don't want to have to buy specialized equipment. So, but yeah, I'm able to, to do those. And then, like I said, some years I'm, I have seven different crops and that's not even including varieties. I can be upwards of 20 different varieties and crops in a year so it 
does make it a little interesting at harvest, but um, it does also spread out my risk. Wow. That's a lot to manage, especially when you're talking about modifying things just a little bit or, or trying to get a different, make your, make your equipment work for diverse crops like that. What's your growing season like, John? Are you, compared to like central Illinois, you know, we can, we can, a lot of growers are starting to plant their soybeans in the beginning of April. And, you know, we're in the swing of harvest right now. And as we sit here in mid-October, harvest will mostly be done by the end of the month. What's the length of your growing season like? Yeah, so I actually, I start seeding a lot earlier than a lot of my neighbors. I'll, about the 20th of April, I'll start seeding, but I normally start out with my malt barley. I'll get it in early and then I'll maybe switch to wheat. <clears throat> and then I go to um, early May, I'll have uh, canola and then maybe fabas and yellow peas or lentils will go in kind of that early May. And I'm usually done seeding about the 18th or 20th of May. And then harvest can start honestly, at any time, depending on the year. This year, we were starting harvest August 7th. So on the malt wow. barley that I seeded April 22nd, I was harvesting a fairly decent barley crop the first week of August. So it's a quick turnaround. So it's kind of good that way. And that's not normal by any means. A lot of times it's the end of August, beginning of September before I'm harvesting any of my cereals. So this year was a little bit different with it being drier, but so I can start sometimes anywhere from the beginning of August to the end of August and normally get done by the end of September, end of October is kind of the, the window, kind of that month. So yeah, we've been done for over a month now and it was a good harvest. It went quick. I'm usually five, six weeks of harvest. So it goes quick and I seed about 2000 acres. So depending on the year, sometimes it's spread out, but this year it was pretty compacted and went quite well and quite quick. So with reduced bushels also, it makes it easier for hauling. So there wasn't as much truckloads to haul. So the bright side, simple. huh? <laughs> yeah. So there, there was, there's your pro and your con of this year's harvest. So, but yeah, so I, it, our season is definitely a lot shorter than what you guys have down there as far as our growing season but we can still grow some of the similar crops and the one thing i've always looked at is growing corn for, for actual a crop or for seed that was always one of my things but the problem with that is you need specialized equipment to harvest it and so that was always the thing is getting a corn header because i think i could seed them with the current equipment i have but as far as harvesting them i would need something to harvest them so that was always my dream is someday to go somewhere and run a combine in, in some 12 foot or 14 foot tall <laughs> corn that you can hardly see over the windshield. And I always, you see those pictures and I'm thinking, Oh, that would be so cool. But maybe it isn't when you're right in that moment, but it looks really cool. Well, come on, come on down to Illinois uh, next fall and we'll hook you up. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. That would be fun. I've had I'll, some I'll trade, offers. I, <laughs> I'll trade you for a fava bean harvest. <laughs> oh, fab, yeah. I'd like a good fava that. beans there there you can whip through them i tell you all is left is stalks and pods it's there last year i had a really good crop they were probably four and a half five feet tall and we're doing you know six seven mile an hour with the header and just zipping through them and they they worked really well john one crop i'm always kind of interested in because it seems a lot different than corn and soybeans and that you know the, the other beans that you mentioned and the barley and things like that seem a little bit more similar to corn and soybeans but i see information about canola and i have to admit i know i know nothing about canola basically is that grown similarly to those other crops or are there some big differences there it's definitely a different crop for sure it's it's a little more susceptible to early frost so it's important not to get it in too early because um when it's first emerged and um 
the first two leaves are called cotyledons and when they first pop out of the ground it's really susceptible to frost and can really knock it back so it's a little trickier that way you got to kind of pick and choose when you put it in and it's seeded quite shallow so you're down at three quarters of an inch seeding it or one inch maximum so it comes up quite quick so that's why i would wait till the beginning of May, sometimes once the soil starts to warm up and it, the air temperature is a little higher, I would put it in at that time. So it avoids that early frost. Um, other things about it are it, it's not super competitive for weeds. So we've had, we have different varieties that have different um, kind of traits that help with weed control. So we have like Roundup Ready and uh, a Liberty variety. So those varieties help a lot with weed control, which is paramount for sure in that and the other thing about them is insects there's a lot of different insects that really enjoy eating them flea beetles early on so they're susceptible to that and they can cause a lot of damage and then during the growing season we have ligus bugs and the other cabbage seed pod weevils and there's there can be a lot of stress with um watching them for insects and insect damage later on but I'm not one, I, I, I hate spraying any type of insecticides, so I will avoid it at any costs. And actually over the 30 years I've grown canola, I've probably only had to spray twice. Honestly, I, I, I feel that there's a, a huge benefit to um, watching beneficials and taking that into account when you're doing your sweeps. So I'm always careful to watch for things like that and making sure I'm knowing what my thresholds are on these insects. So, so and, and harvest is quite simple the last few years we've straight cut them we always used to swath them but the varieties are getting better so there's pod chatter varieties so we have less loss at harvest when we go to straight cut them so the the varieties are making it simpler for us to use these uh, different maybe actions at harvest that help us increase yield and decrease our risk it's a great crop and it's pretty important in alberta especially the i, I don't think you can find a farmer in alberta that doesn't grow canola so I know you see canola oil in the store. Does that have other uses also besides the oil? For sure, yeah. The canola meal is uh, used for feed, um, primarily for dairy. Uh, a lot of our canola meal goes down into the U.S., into the northern states for dairy. Um, so it's, it's kind of nice that uh, the U.S. is a, a big supporter of our, of our meal. And the oil, of course, spreads. It's all over the world. It's... Uh, it's pretty important. It's it's a good heart healthy oil, like they advertise. It's it's one of the most healthiest oils. So there's a lot of sales for that, and it's probably the biggest driver of the price of of what we get for our commodity. So, but definitely the meal is a big important byproduct for for a lot of different people for feed. So good stuff. Well, John, I wanted to kind of switch gears here. Kind of the main reason we wanted to have you on was to talk about social media. So. I notice on your Twitter, you're a hashtag regular farmer, which is pretty mm -hmm. cool. I've been following you for a while, but uh, I was kind of curious, what, when do you decide and, and why did you decide to start sharing your farming story on social media? Well, I was actually at a farm conference back 12 years ago. I think it was at least now 10 or 12 years. And I had a Twitter account at the time and the the one fellow says you know what you can have, you can run two twitter accounts and i was like well yeah i know and and he, I, go, I go i don't really like talking about farming a lot on my regular account but i said well that would be a good idea maybe i should look at setting up something for qualtrick farms on twitter so i set up an account and 
initially it was just more or less to share stuff on the, about the farm and to learn from other farmers. And, and then I started to um, share more and more what I was doing day to day. And I, I was getting more and more followers. And, and then I started getting non-farming followers on my farm account. And I thought it was kind of funny that somebody that wasn't involved in farming was following me on there. So I would share stuff. And then pretty soon I started getting questions and comments and things from non-farmers. And I'm thinking, well, there's people actually listening to this and they're watching and seeing what I'm doing. So I shared more and more and, and I try to add a little humor once in a while to it too, to make it interesting and kind of fun. And I'm, I always like kind of when I have a conversation, it's kind of fun to, to banter back and forth and to have some fun with it. So I kind of did that on Twitter and gained more and more followers. And that was kind of the start of it. And then it expanded to other social medias and, and just sharing more and more about my farm. And I, I try to encourage other farmers to do it as well it's opened up a lot of opportunities for me over the last 10 years through different people. You're all of a sudden they're like, Hey, you're that guy on Twitter or whatever. And it's like, do you want to come talk at this conference or come and, you know, go on this panel or whatever. And it's something probably as a smaller farmer for my area that I wouldn't normally um, get to do. So it's kind of neat to uh, have those opportunities to, to go out and share what I do on my farm, even though I'm a smaller farmer, like I say, and normally wouldn't have got the recognition. So what would you say to a, to a farmer that's interested in sharing their message? I mean, but maybe is overwhelmed by the idea of getting on social media or, or whatever it is. I mean, do you have some advice for, for someone in that, you know, you've been in this for quite some time now, what, what's your advice for someone that would maybe like to get started, but might have some trepidation? Um, I think it's, it's just important to just be yourself on there and, and maybe don't, don't get caught up in a bunch of the drama that happens on social media, of course, but uh, just more or less just sharing what you do day to day and, and just have fun with it. Don't, don't stress over stuff and just share when you feel comfortable doing it. And um, there's a lot of guys out there that feel, well, I don't really have anything to say, but honestly, there's a lot of people that don't understand what we do on the farm or understand what we do day to day. So sharing those things is interesting to them. So I guess that's kind of my advice to, to guys that are kind of have a little trepidation of sharing stuff on there is that, you know what, there are people that are interested in hearing it. And if you do it in a, in a fun way, and even you can throw in a little education here and there and, and help teach people about what goes on on a farm. And there's a lot of guys out there, the, the big guys that are, doing great things on social media and YouTube and, and stuff and sharing things about the farm. And, and honestly, I feel they're, they're doing a, a service to all farming. They're promoting our industry and, and educating everybody on what we do. And so they have a better understanding. That's really also one of the goals of our podcast. Preston and I really want to help share the stories of farmers and the, and the, the reasons behind some of the practices that are on farm. And, and you, it sounds like you've really had some opportunities, as you mentioned, to really speak in some of the more maybe traditional settings like conferences and things like that. Do you have any advice for a farmer that maybe doesn't want to take the step of getting on social media, but maybe is willing to kind of share their story? Have you found any other opportunities how someone might be able to do that? Well, I think there's always opportunities to share a story, either it's one-on-one or or whatever, but definitely if you get involved with uh, local commissions. So we have like a Alberta Pulse Commission, which would be kind of the peas and, and uh, even soybeans are involved in that in Alberta. But And then there's 
Alberta wheat, Alberta barley, Alberta canola. So getting involved in those commissions opens up opportunities for you to go and speak at different things and also to maybe go into schools and also um, discuss that with uh, students or whatever through egg in the classroom. So there's lots of opportunities out there, but definitely finding that avenue, maybe going through like a commission or whatever is, is, is one way. Just having those discussions with people that maybe have those connections would help open up the doors to, to help you get out there and, and maybe share your story a little bit differently if you're not one for social media. So there are different ways of doing it. It's just uh, just finding that avenue of, of maybe getting that connection to, to get that opportunity. John, have you found more success with one platform versus another, like Twitter, for instance? Is that kind of where you would recommend a farmer to start or TikTok or what's your professional recommendation? Well, definitely Twitter's the the one to start with. It's the easiest one to um, gain some traction there for sure. There's so many people on there and it's, it is one that is set up to um, increase followers or also maybe um, get more of a, of a larger voice. So it's, it's probably the best one to start with. Uh, TikTok is definitely growing. It's huge. Like to go on there and you share something and all of a sudden you have a hundred thousand views. It's, it's crazy. Like I've had some that are 120 or 130,000 views. And it's like, you know, wow. that a lot of those aren't farmers. Right. So it's one that's definitely growing quickly and it's a tough one to kind of maybe get into, but once you're into it and you you get some followers on there it definitely can grow your your reach it's it's a good one to share a message on too because a lot of the younger people are on it and and maybe don't have that kind of connection to farming or to ag so it's it's kind of cool that way it's interesting you say you had a 120,000 views on a video and a lot of them weren't farmers do you have any idea i mean i i I believe that's absolutely true. Probably the, the majority of those were not farmers, right? I, do you have any idea on the numbers of the ratio? Maybe is it, is it, you know, five to one farmer or non-farmers to farmers, or do you have any idea of that? Maybe, maybe you don't have those kind of metrics. I don't know. Yeah. The analytics on TikTok are a little tricky, so you, you can't really tell, but just going off the comments, like I had, I don't know, maybe three or 400 comments on that video that was went a little bit bigger and it was um i would say it was probably 50 50 on the comments but a lot of the farmers related to the video as a farmer it was kind of a comment about my uh my dad the the video was and, and our old 4020 john deere tractor and how he bought me a, a toy tractor the same when i was little and how i still had the little tractor and my dad passed away in 2015 so i have that the actual full size 4020 sitting at the entrance to my farm and I have it by my granaries and I have it hooked up to a our old John Deere drill box drill and it's sitting there and I kind of told the story of my dad and and how I've kept this tractor and it kind of stands guard at the gate of our farm and he's still kind of there with me so that was kind of the story behind that video and and just talking about how important my dad was to the farm and and how he kind of made me want to farm. Well, that's, that's really cool. And, and we will, uh, we'll link to that video in the show notes so that the listeners can check that out and see what you're talking about there. For sure. Well, John, I guess kind of looking in the future, we kind of wrap up our podcast typically with asking guests, you know, what excites you most about the future of ag. So from your Canadian perspective, looking forward, what is most exciting to you about the future of ag? Well, I think for me, definitely the uh, 
technology that's that's coming down the line is it's pretty wild some of the stuff that we're able to do now on the farm and some of the the data we're able to um to utilize it's it's pretty cool but i'm also very excited about the amount of young people in my area and across alberta and western canada that are getting involved in ag either through um, businesses or directly on the farm it's it's pretty cool to see people realize how important ag is and that there is a great future in it i think that's what the message i get from the amount of young people that are getting involved i i see it on tiktok and i see it on twitter and the comments from young farmers and and people in ag maybe working for companies or different retailers and commenting and following me on tiktok and it's it's cool to see the young people and i'm one of the older guys on tiktok now it's which is kind of funny but and, and on twitter too but it's kind of funny to uh to hear them talk about um farming and some of the young people that are posting things and and getting more involved in sharing their story so i'm very excited about the future of ag i think all across north america and the world because the potential is so big for us to advance our industry and the young people that are coming on board are smart and farming and ag has evolved so much and these people have so much to give and these are smart smart people that are getting involved in ag and i just see great things in the future and i think another thing i mean is what we're talking about here today is farmers like yourself that are finding all these avenues to share the message of ag with general consumers i think that's great also that's another exciting thing about the future where you know i think we we had some trouble in ag maybe over the past couple decades where people didn't really understand things they don't understand say for instance gmos there's a lot of misinformation out there and i think farmers being able to get out there and get in front of people just regular consumers is really huge in helping people understand better what goes on and and once we understand something there's usually a lot less fear there or whatever emotion you want to use mm -hmm, for sure i think we did ourselves a huge disservice for for kind of keeping quiet for so long we didn't we didn't tell our story and and talk about what we were doing on our farm and and all of a sudden there was other people came in and started telling our story for us it it got to the point where we were playing catch up and like i said we just took too long to get on either social media or mainstream media and and tell everybody what we did and why we're doing it and and like i say we're playing catch up now i feel we're we're winning this i think there's more and more good information being shared so i think uh it's it's an important thing that we share our story and and basically not let someone else tell our story for us well john uh, we really appreciate your time here today if there's a listener who wants to go follow you learn more about your story where do you recommend they go to follow you and we'll be sure to link all these in the show notes you bet so i'm pretty much kowalchuk farms um, k-o-w-a-l-c-h-u-k farms on all social media uh, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, even a little bit. Um, pretty much those are the main ones. I do a blog. It's the links are in my other one too. I've, I've written a bit in the winter time when I have time. I, I like to write down some of the stories about my farm or things that have happened in the past, as well as uh, kind of what I'm doing on the farm too. So some of that in there too. So, but that's probably the main one is definitely um, Twitter where I'm pretty active on. So Kowalchuk Farms one on, on Twitter. So 
Well, thanks a lot, John. This has been a great conversation. We appreciate your time. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the program hosts or their employer.